I'm a bit of a linguist. And so I remember starting secondary school in particular and learning French and learning Spanish and then realizing actually that the root of my name, Sabir, means different things in different languages. So in um, French, Sabir means to undergo, to suffer. But Sabir in Spanish and Portuguese means to arise, to ascend. And so the nerd that I am, I thought, let me just couple that together in that I might suffer and undergo for now, but I will ascend, I will arise because my patience will be rewarded. And so I feel like my name, creating that story in my name has literally mimicked my life in that there's been great trials, but great triumphs at the same time. So when I resigned from the investment industry, I decided that actually I am Sabira. I might suffer and undergo now, but I will arise, I will ascend because my patients will be rewarded. And so from everything I learned, from the heartache, from the burnout, the grief, from studying because I pivoted in my career and retrained as a holistic health practitioner and certified lifestyle coach. I then, from all of that pain, all of that grief, undergoing the suffering, then founded a business where I get to work with corporates, I get to work with professionals, and as of last week, became Young Business Person of the Year. So my name really is Sabira. I may undergo and suffer, but I will arise in the sense because my patients will be rewarded. So stress is like fire, then burnout's like your house on fire. Mm-hmm. Between you and I, if your house was on fire, what would you do? Run outside of it and call the fire, like call professionals, so call the fire brigade and get them to help. Okay, so you've called the fire brigade and they've said to you, hey, Maya, we can't make it right now, but could you please just breathe in <laughs> and breathe out? No, not going to work. It'd be useless, absolutely futile, right? Yeah. And that's the difference. So, but what breathing can do is help you feel better in that moment to increase your capacity to be able to respond appropriately, but it hasn't put out the fire. So if burnout's like your house is on fire, then you need to put out the cause of it, which is the fire, the stress. In today's episode, join me in conversation with Sabira Jones, who's also known as the corporate hippie, where we discuss the meaning of her name, the circumstances around her birth, her life story and how she feels that the meaning of her name is really, really linked to her journey throughout life. And we touch on burnout, what it means and how it's manifested in Sabira's life and how she now supports others managing burnout. Names that enrich with meaning are part of one's identity and hold such importance. Welcome to That's My Name. I'm Maya Mitzko, September Welford. What's your name? My name is Sabira Jones. Sabira, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm really, really, really excited to have you on. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation today. So what does your name Sabira mean? So Sabira is Kiswahili and it means patience, or as my parents would tell me, patience is rewarded. Oh, so patience, patience is rewarded. And tell me the story behind kind of how your name was chosen then. So my parents waited a long time to have me. There's about, I think with my older sibling, 11 years, 13 years respectively between myself and my older siblings. Um, and they really wanted to have another child. And then along came me, their bundle of joy, given that their patience had been rewarded. And so I was named Sabira. Wow, I love that. And like growing up, were you, when did you like learn about the meaning of your name? Was this something that you knew growing up or was it kind of later on? 
it was always told to me, I mean, from the, my origin story, if you will, but also getting in trouble. We have waited so long to have you. Look what you're doing. So with great names come great responsibility. So it was twofold. It was told in love and like, come on to bear, like, do better. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And from that, like, have you ever felt kind of pressure because of your name? I don't know if it's necessarily from my name, but I do know that, as I said, with great names comes great responsibility. When you hear that, it's like, oh, it hurts. Okay, you need to do better. They like waited for you. They love you. Like step up, step in, yeah. and take ownership of that. Okay, that's interesting. And we know that your name kind of mean means patience, but what does it mean to you? So it's really interesting. I love languages. I think it's an incredible way to connect with people. It's a great way for people to feel seen, to feel empowered, to feel heard. And I'm a bit of a linguist. And so I remember starting secondary school in particular and learning French and learning Spanish and then realising actually that the root of my name, Sabir, means different things in different languages. So in um, French, Sabir means to undergo, to suffer. But Sabir in Spanish and Portuguese means to arise, to ascend. And so the nerd that I am, I thought, let me just couple that together in that I might suffer and undergo for now, but I will ascend, I will arise because my patience will be rewarded. And so I feel like my name, creating that story in my name has literally mimicked my life in that there's been great trials, but great triumphs at the same time. I really love that. I love how, you know, you're a linguist and you've gone to the root of your name, Sabir, and identified that in different languages that you were learning at yeah. school, it had different meanings. And what I find so fascinating is that it's kind of, you're saying that it's mirrored or reflected things that have happened in your life. So I'd love to dive into that a bit more. So I forgot to add as well with my parents, part of their patience was that when I was a baby, I had gastritis, MRSA and pneumonia, like six months old. So they were planning my funeral before they got a chance to plan my christening. So their patience really was rewarded even just after I was born. However, in my adult life, in my final year of university, studying economics, got a phone call from my sister who was in London whilst I was in Wales to say that my mum had just had a heart attack at the primary were trying to resuscitate on a kitchen slot. So I, in short, I had to complete my final year of economics with my mum in a coma, which included writing a 10,000-word first-class socio-econometric dissertation in 48 hours, handling one minute before the deadline with my mum in a coma. So my patience was rewarded in that I was able to graduate and write a first-class dissertation. But then that story kept going over a period of, I'd say, four years. It was in a four-year-long burnout cycle of constantly achieving great things at a great cost. So after I graduated, working for the Fair Trade Foundation and Recession Policy as a volunteer whilst waitressing full-time so that I had the flexibility to visit my mum who was severely paraplegic, neurologically disabled and blind in hospital. And so even though I had achieved great things in terms of, you know, you know, functioning in the dysfunction, working for a reputable organisation to keep my career options open, being a dutiful daughter, I then almost died on my 23rd birthday as I admitted into hospital for sepsis. So it was constantly just up and down. Fast forward the next year, I got my first uh, adult job in the investment industry. About to turn 24 years old, due to start this job, the day after my birthday, my mum suddenly got peacefully passed away. Four days after her funeral, I started my first investment job. Wow. So now I'm in the investment industry. I've got this, you know, work-life balance, perfect work-life balance for nine months. And then I went to bed with the flu, woke up the next morning, couldn't feel anything below my hips. 
and then started losing the eyesight in my right eye. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this isn't fun. So again, I've achieved great things. My patience was rewarded with this new job, but now I'm um, experiencing immobility and disabling symptoms. So despite that, I then was able to obtain a new job from investment consultancy into asset management, a beautiful pay bump for doing a lot less complex work, Eureka. But within that time period, I ended up being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So again, it's like, okay, well, we've had all these hardships, great triumphs, and then back again. So when I resigned from the investment industry, I decided that actually I am severer. I might suffer and undergo for now, but I will arise, I will ascend, because my patients will be rewarded. And so from everything I learned, from the heartache, from the burnout, the grief, from studying, because I pivoted in my career and retrained as a holistic health practitioner and certified lifestyle coach, I then, from all of that pain, all of that grief, undergoing the suffering, then founded a business where I get to work with corporates, I get to work with professionals, and as a Last week became Young Business Person of the Year. So my name really is Sabira. I may undergo and suffer, but I will arise in the sense because my patients will be rewarded. So from then till now, my life, I don't know if it's self-opinion prophecy, but it just really resonates with me. Mm, wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a journey and such a story or, or multiple stories that you've kind of lived through and thank you for sharing that and it's so interesting to hear how you've tied those, those experiences to your name so closely to the meaning of your name so closely and what I got there when you were speaking is a kind of sense of finding comfort or reassurance in the meaning of your name so yes you've gone through really difficult times but then you've just, you, you mentioned, you know, you reminded yourself, I'm Sabira and, and this is what my name means and this is who I am. Did you find comfort in your name and did that help you to kind of push through the difficult times? So it wasn't so much the comfort in the name, but why I was named why, um, Sabira. Mm -hmm. So my parents, they love me dearly. They have put everything into me and my siblings. Um, we were their life's project once they had us. And so it's more remembering who I am, why I was given that name, why I had that name. I, it sounds, sounds cliche, but it's, everyone says you, survive, you, you have survived your worst day, right? Mm -hmm. And it's literally that. So it's more the reminder. So less comfort in the name, but why I was given that name. Mm -hmm. And you shared now that you're kind of working within coaching and wellness and kind of this burnout space, given your experiences with severe burnout multiple times. And I know that you founded in your, you are the corporate hippie. I'd be really interested to understand, how did you come up with the name corporate hippie? So I think I'd always been a corporate hippie. So even when I was in the corporate space, I was very much not corporate, but within a corporate environment. So it's always been me. But the reason why the name came about was two reasons in particular. When I had resigned from the investment industry, I was on universal credit, been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, moderately severe depression and severe anxiety. But one thing I knew for a fact is I understood burnout. And I understood burnout in a way that I hadn't heard anyone else speak about it. And I had seen the benefits of it in my life because within five months of creating the burnout-free lifestyle, which I based all my work upon, I saw the disabling symptoms from sporadic immobility, sporadic blindness cease without medical intervention wow. entirely. And it did so for the, remain for the next three years and a bit. So I became the corporate hippie in part because there was a level of imposter syndrome. Why would someone want to listen to this young woman who's an ex-investment analyst, 
disabled universal credit recipient. But I was confident in the message I had to deliver. So I wanted to become the corporate hippie to disassociate from who I felt severe drinks at the time. So there was that part. But then I also, with that gumption, decided I was sliding into the DMs of the C-suite across the investment industry because I really did want a job back in the industry, which was incredibly hard to get with an acquired disability. And I met with one of the CIOs and he said to me, as a white man, don't you find this industry really male, pale and stale? And I said, no. And he went, well, I do. I'm, not, I'm a white man. I said, I belong in whatever room I decide to be in. And that's when I became the corporate hippie because I knew that I love the corporate space. I love the corporate world. I love the type of people the corporate world attracts. I just didn't want to work in the corporate space the way I thought I always had to. So that whole analogy of being a round peg trying to fit a square hole, that's what I'd been doing. But one thing was for sure, I was on the right board. And so I became the corporate hippie to then showcase how I was going to be in this environment, the work I wanted to do and how I wanted to help other people pursue their professional aspirations without losing their health and vitality along the way. So it was definitely a twofold approach. One, to deal with my own imposter syndrome, to actually step into the work and my personal mission. And two, to be able to signal to others that actually you can have those professional aspirations without the cost being burnout. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes, well, it is such a big cost sometimes, you know, it's your health, Huge. well-being, and I think sometimes people don't realise that, or they 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 just put work kind of on this huge pedestal, obviously work is, is important, but your health, if you don't have your health, your well-being, your, your, you know, it makes everything else so much kind of more challenging and difficult, and I always believe if I'm not at my best... I can't be my best for other people, for the work that I do, or for my relationships and so on. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, what is burnout? I'm glad you asked because it's so miscommonly diagnosed. It's got yeah. such misconceptions around it. And that's because being run down and being burnt out aren't the same thing, but they often get conflated. So a lot of professionals who recommend rest, whether that be active or passive rest, or they recommend nutrition, sleep, exercise to resolve burnout, are unfortunately addressing the wrong issue. That works if you're run down. So the difference being, imagine you have your laptop. If you're using your laptop all day, eventually it's going to power down, right? It's going to shut off. So what would you do? Just charge it and stop using it for a bit. There you go. And that's fine because you've been using the machine all day, it needs to be recharged, the battery's gone. And that's the same with us as humans. So if we've been working really hard, eventually we do need to rest, and that can be passive rest, as in we sleep, we just chill, or it could be active rest, and that we do activities that, you know, align with our core values and fulfil our proverbial cup. However, burnout is, if you have your laptop, it shuts down, you put it on charge, and for whatever reason, it just won't hold the charge. Oh. Or if it does turn on, it won't stay on. It might flicker on and then flicker off again. And that's because we now don't no longer have an energy issue. We've got a hardware issue where we need to hit factory reset. Mm. And that's the difference. And that's because stress is like fire in that it can be pr uh, pragmatic and constructive when it's well-managed and well-utilized. And we see great athletes and incredible people utilize stress really well to excel in their relative area of expertise. However, stress, just like fire, if it's mismanaged, misutilized, or worse, you don't even know it's occurring, has the potential to be catastrophic and disastrous. So if stress is like fire, then burnout's like your house on fire. Mm -hmm. Between you and I, 
If your house was on fire, what would you do? Run outside of it and call the fire, like call professionals, so call the fire brigade and get them to help. Okay, so you've called the fire brigade and they've said to you, hey, Maya, we can't make it right now, but could you please just breathe in and breathe out? No, not going to work. It'd be useless, absolutely futile, right? Yeah. And that's the difference. So, but what breathing can do is help you feel better in that moment to increase your capacity to be able to respond appropriately, but it hasn't put out the fire. So if burnout's like your house is on fire, then you need to put out the cause of it, which is the fire, the stress. And so, as I said, stress can be productive, it can be disastrous, which means people need to understand, you know, what is necessary stress and what's unnecessary stress. Necessary stress gets you closer to your goals, things you want to achieve and experience. Unnecessary stress is disruptive, it derails you, and it's a hindrance, it's counterproductive. So burnout is not the same as being run down. The recipe for run down is rest. Burnout requires you to hit a factory reset and create a lifestyle that is preventative of burnout in the first instance, a lifestyle that's stress mitigating, i.e. you don't have to fires, a lifestyle that's fulfilling, so your proverbial cup is forever running over, which means you know how to keep your system from overheating in the first place. And lastly, it has to be fun. You need to know that you know how to actively rest and passively rest so you don't experience the Sunday scaries and the Monday blues. Mm. So that is the difference. Burnout's like your house being on fire. You need to know to put out those fires. Svira, thanks for sharing that because I've I've never thought about burnout in such a detailed way, kind of consciously. I've just obviously heard the word a lot, heard the word used quite a lot, and, and it's heard from people when they've experienced burnout but that's really helpful to put it in those analogies to really understand and now I feel like I really do understand the difference between burnout and just kind of needing to kind of rest and and get kind of overwhelmed so thank you for that that's really really helpful and how can people deal with burnout if they're experiencing it I know you've touched on a few kind of examples there but then also how can they avoid it altogether so true burnout prevention is a lifestyle. You have to create that lifestyle that's stressing it again for feeling of fun because burnout's a creeper condition. Unfortunately, people don't know they're burning out until they've already edged onto that slippery slope. Mm. And so prevention is always better than it's always better than cure, as my grandma would say. And that's because what it takes for you to recover from burnout is the same thing it takes for you to prevent. Difference being, if you're preventing it, you still some, have some energy left in the tank. Whereas if you're recovering it from it, then your energy tank's already been exploited. Mm-hmm. So the things you can do is to conduct a life audit, literally look at every area of your life and be really honest as to what stress is necessary and what stress is not necessary. And that's because people who tend to excel and do really well tend to be naturally more resilient. But resilience is not the answer to burnout. In fact, people who are resilient are more susceptible to burnout. So when I say take a life audit, it's because resilient people are... The type of people that when life gives them lemons, they're going to make lemonade. Yeah. And they'll make so much lemonade they can drown in it. <laughs> what they need to do instead is be tenacious in their approach. So when life does give them lemons, they go, oh, okay, do I have enough lemonade? Do I like lemonade? What else can I make from these lemons? But the best question yet, is the lemon even worth the squeeze? Life is constantly going to give us lemons. It's an orchard out there. It really is a lemon orchard. But it's for us to decide actually which lemons are worth taking on. What other things can we make from it? So I end up being diagnosed with MS, depression and anxiety. And instead of just keeping my head down and just, you know, 
head in the same direction, potentially go back into the investment industry, not disclosing the disabilities and going straight back into that cycle of burnout, I decided actually, what can I do with these lemons? What can I do with these experiences? Actually, how can I serve other people? How can I help other people not, you know, experience burnout themselves? How can I help other people to take back control of their life and their career? Mm -hmm. So in order to prevent burnout, true burnout prevention is a lifestyle that contains stress mitigation, fulfillment and fun. And knowing how to identify the unnecessary stress, i.e. those fires, and stop making lemonade. Yeah, so true. And between like, so from when you were kind of burning out, you left the investment industry to now, you've completely changed your career, you're a burnout expert, you're focused on well-being and health. How do you think kind of corporate corporates have changed in terms of their approach and their views towards well-being? It's really interesting you ask. I think they're now understanding that if they want to meet their bottom line, if they want to outperform their competitors, if they want to stay a viable business and even become a profitable business for some businesses, you have to invest in your people. Because an organisation is only as successful as the the talent it retains, not the talent it attracts. And we see this constantly. And so I think they're starting to understand at a point of retention because in 2020, we had the great resignation where people were like, oh, okay, there might be more to life than simply working. In 2021, we had the great exhaustion where people went, um, I'm tired. Like, I'm tired. I tried everything. I thought working from home and having that extra flexibility would help work-life balance. Maybe work-life balance doesn't exist. Actually, maybe I don't understand burnout. I'm exhausted. And then by 2022, we saw it starting to go from affecting individuals to affecting organizations and that we had the great tech redundancies and companies that we look at and use every day the googles the twitter the microsoft were cutting down ahead of the economic uncertainty and so i think the approach is changing that they know they need to invest in it i think they're starting to realize how much it's affecting their bottom line how much they're losing because before the pandemic in 2019 54 percent of working days were lost due to stress-related ill health by 2021, that increased to 84%. So clearly, yeah. giving people a four-day working week or paid time of work wasn't solving the issue. And so I think they're starting to realise, yes, we need to invest in it. It needs to be more than lip service, but actually, what is the right approach? And so I think that's the shift. And this is re- this really interests me because I, I spent a year working within the well-being team within the company that I currently work for during the pandemic. So it's a very interesting time to work within kind of employee colleague well-being. And because I was globally facing, it was, okay, well, the UK is in this phase of the, the kind of pandemic and the lockdown, but then we've got India, who's at a completely different kind of phase with different government kind of support. And then we've got the US and so on. It was a really interesting time for me to kind of be working within well-being what I'm interested to hear from you is you mentioned lip service there what's your view on kind of companies hitting kind of employee well-being in the right way are are, are companies getting it right um I think companies want to get it right but if we talk about what burnout is bringing puppies into your office not going to do it People who really struggle with money management or, you know, who are constantly in debt and in their overdraft, giving them a, a one-off £1,000, they may never see that. 
um, helping people plan for a future, financial future in terms of pensions and investment whilst they're drowning in their current situation. They don't even have the financial flexibility now to utilise that. Mm. It's futile again. So this is why I tell people that burnout is like a house on fire. How do you deal with a house on fire? You put the fire out. So the work that needs to be done is helping people increase their capacity to effectively manage stress. Are you less focused on stress elimination over stress relief? One feels good and it's probably symptomatic and the other one is a more recausal approach that is preventative with sustainability behind it. So I think they want to get it right, but because burnout's being completely run down, they're completely addressing the wrong issue. So it's like putting water into a bucket that has a hole in it. Mm. It's futile. And it's a shame because so many people definitely want to help and they're doing the right thing. But before we get to the good, healthy lifestyle, we need to really deal with the stress capacity. And the capacity is finite. There's only so much stress you can take on. So the best way to increase your capacity for stress naturally is to reduce the amount of unnecessary stress. So when things do arise, because stress can be necessary and can be productive, you have the capacity to look at it in a solution in a negative way, as opposed to going, okay, we're making lemonade, default position. You go, hey, let's make a lemon meringue. Let's make a lemon loaf. I don't actually like lemon desserts, so I hate going off in this rabbit hole <laughs> with lemons. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So let's deal with the actual issue. And then from there, things start to unfold. Because even with line managers, we want line managers to manage empathetically. Well, actually, the most empathetic line manager you have in your organisation is one who's not burnt out. Because mm. they aren't burnt out. They have the capacity to see the forest from the trees. In fact, if they, if they aren't burnt out, it's easier to put out the fire in someone else's house if your own house isn't on fire. Yeah. And then we talk about psychological safety. Well, actually, you can't achieve psychological safety if people are still in survival mode. And if you're in survival mode, it's because your house is on fire. Yeah. So I can't look at the green pastures over there when I can feel the heat from my home burning over here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is so important to focus on the cause of the issue, the cause of the burnout, rather than just dealing with the kind of symptoms and that not necessarily being sustainable and that just made me think I've seen a few memes on like LinkedIn and on other social media platforms about like well-being teams being like ooh, and you've mentioned like bring the puppies to work and it's like ooh, let's just give you like a workshop on I don't know like yoga or meditation or something and then the the other side of the memes like can you just take some of this like workload away and some of this actual cause of the stress so yeah I always kind of um, find it amusing when I see those those memes it's interesting that you make that point because a lot of people do think burnout's an occupational phenomenon and we can blame the World Health Organization for that but it's not burnout is simply the chronic exposure to stress and that could be stress in your personal or professional life so sometimes what happens is because we're burning out in our own life we don't feel like we have control over our own life and it gets too much it starts to affect our ability to perform and show up and there's only one real area of our lives that is quantitative, is qualitative of performance, and that is work. They measure our attendance, they measure our productivity, they measure our attitude and behaviour. Yeah. No one's really doing that at home. So at work, you might be able to put a smile on your face and get on with things, but back home, your house is in disarray or you're, you have unhealthy relationships with your family because they're getting the brunt of what you're shielding and shying away from at work. And so actually burnout's not an occupational phenomenon. So a lot of people will think it's because of the workload. But I can honestly say, working full-time for an organisation whilst running a consultancy full-time, I have worked the longest days, the mm -hmm. hardest days of my life. But having the foundation of a burnout-free lifestyle, doing work that's aligned with my purpose, my core values, 
give me a North Star that pulls me to my work as opposed to drag me there kicking and screaming. So it's not a case that we can't work hard, we can't pursue these huge aspirations. It's a case of have we laid a foundation, have we created a lifestyle that allows us to do it? Do we feel empowered enough to speak up at work if someone is dumping their work on us unfairly to say, actually, this isn't within my remit, this isn't within my gift, can we review this? Because some people, they'll just take things on. Like, give them a lemon, all right, more lemonade. But actually, if you feel empowered in your own life, it's easier to feel empowered in the workplace. And then you can start putting those boundaries in place, which is necessary. You can start speaking up and seeing if it's actually the workload or is it actually a presenting issue for other things going on in your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it is interesting because, yeah, we definitely think about burnout, work, work, burnout. But we have lives outside of work. And I think sometimes organisations perhaps forget that. And and we forget that as well. Yeah. Sometimes. So that's really interesting. Thanks for raising that. And Sabira, what advice would you give to your kind of younger self? You know, you're maybe on your way to burning out. You're maybe not, you've not burned out quite yet, but you're on your way to kind of burning Mm -hmm. out. What would you tell yourself? It's a catch-22 for me because had I not gone through everything, I wouldn't be here now. But I think what resonates with me most is the lemonade part. I was always resilient. I completed a degree when I'm in a coma. I started an investment job four days after a funeral. Almost started and carried on working. Got um, Lost my ability to walk and see. Got a new job. It wasn't until I was forced to sit down. Then I was like, oh, okay. So I think some of the things I would say to myself is get comfortable with the discomfort. It's okay for them to have those unpleasant feelings. They're not going to be all-encompassing as much as they feel like they are swallowing you. They're not. So therapy, yes. Also, retail therapy is not easier. Well, it is. It's easier than actual therapy, but it's a lot more expensive. So <laughs> go to therapy will help in the long run. And stop making lemonades. We often get praised for being resilient, especially being a black woman. There's this whole trope about being a strong black woman. I am no one strong black woman. I am a human, and I am a woman at that. And so it's a case of, yeah, life is going to give me lemons. Do I want to make lemonade or do I want to stop and do something else of it? So it's really important because resilience is like the story of the frog in tepid water. Resilient people are so good at adjusting and acclimatizing to harmful environments. They no longer have a natural barometer as when it got fatal. And that was me. So if someone praises you for being resilient, say no. So those would be the things I would say, yeah. Get comfortable with the discomfort of unpleasant feelings. Retail therapy is not a better option than actual therapy. Stop making lemonade. And resilience is not a badge of honour. Svera, thank you so much for sharing that. And I really love how you've highlighted the importance of therapy and, and, and kind of really highlighting that retail therapy is not therapy. Um, I'm a big advocate for therapy. Um, and how can people kind of connect with you? So the best way to connect with me is on social media, surprise, surprise, um, particularly on LinkedIn. I'm a lot more responsive on LinkedIn than my other social media. But if you're curious as to what a burnout-free lifestyle looks like, and more specifically what my burnout-free lifestyle looks like being an entrepreneur now and you know working in the corporate space, then you can find me on Instagram as The Corporate Hippie. Love that. Severa, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights about your name, the name, your, the meaning of your name, and also sharing more about burnout. I've definitely learned a lot. You are so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. 